So this week's guest is a man called Matt Deegan, and I've known Matt for ages and ages. We first started working together when I was working on a HarperCollins children's books campaign, and we thought Fun Kids, a radio station that he uh, founded and has created and is still the station manager of, would be the perfect fit for. He's kind of like a superhero in that he has an amazing double life. He works for a production company called Folder Media that create content for the BBC. They make some Radio 1 podcasts. He made the Love Island podcast with Folder during the, um, during the first season. He's really well informed. Forgive me if our conversation turns a bit into radio geekiness. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but that's, there's an element of my background in that as well. What I thought was fascinating about Matt's chat was his absolute courage of his conviction in the mistakes that he'd made, perhaps, with fun kids. He speaks around not being faddish, right the way through to his successes. So um, we get to know Matt, we find out what his role involves, and then we kind of unearth some practical insights about talking to youth, and particularly, in Matt's case, children's audiences. We find out his rocket fuel. So, first of all, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. I can't thank you enough. No worries. Really excited to be here. So, let's start with getting to know you a little Mm. bit. Let's ask about your journey and how have you got to where you've got to. Sure. So, uh, today I run a national children's radio station and brand called Fun Kids. Um, I also uh, lead a a production company called Folder & Co., uh, and do a few other little bits and pieces around media and distribution for a company called Folder Media. Uh, how I got there, uh, I'm a radio fan, always love radio. Did student radio at university, I was at Royal Holloway, uh, University of London in party central of Egham, uh, and uh, loved doing that. I got involved in the student radio station, uh, ran the student radio station, and, and whilst there I actually bid for a full-time FM license for London with some colleagues. Obviously, we didn't win because we knew bugger all about anything. Uh, but it was quite interesting. And uh, whilst doing that, uh, we had lots of investors that included Time Out and a radio group at the time called GWR. Uh, anyway, just did the bid, then I sort of finished my degree. Uh, and uh, I got my first job at the Radio Academy, which is like a sort of industry association. And I was the administrator. Uh, uh, on the first week, uh, I taught myself how to do mail merges and realized that the job took about three minutes rather than five <laughs> days. Uh, so I was there for about six months. And then I joined GWR, this company that I'd met mm. doing this bid. And uh, GWR at that point owned about 30 local radio stations and, and Classic FM. Uh, and I joined the corporate development team. So again, bidding for FM radio licenses and bidding for digital radio licenses uh, and learning about the, the business side of radio. And GWR was winning licenses at the time? It, you were developing the programming sound? Yeah, so those would be two things. as the analog business and the big radio groups didn't tend to be that lucky at winning licenses. But mm. in the digital field, digital radio multiplexes, we did win a lot through that. Also, we were launching new radio stations. Um, and then that GWR became GCAT Media when it merged with Capital in 2005. So then I got to play with... XFM as was, and Capital, and more on Classic, renewed Classic FM's license, uh, won some new FM licenses for, for, for XFM. Uh, and, uh, and it was great fun, it was great fun working in Leicester Square, great fun, load of brands to work on, mm. learned a lot about the, obviously the digital transition. In 2005, we're kind of 
sort of pre-iPhones, but that's sort of all on, on the way. Um, and uh, learned a huge amount doing that. And actually, as the, as the world started to shift and podcasts started appearing and, and more devices and different ways people consume media, me and my boss uh, decided to leave and set up uh, Folder Media. Uh, one, to bid for a load of digital radio licenses because it was nice bidding for someone else, but actually it'd be much more fun to bid for yourself. Yeah. Uh, and then along the way, we've kind of done lots of different things, uh, including um, taking on uh, what was Fun Radio, turning into Fun Kids and growing that into a, a national radio station. Okay, we'll definitely come on to chat more about Fun Kids. Let's focus on you as a bit. Uh, let's focus on you a bit more. Are you good at switching off? No, I mean, no, not at all. I'm rubbish. Uh, uh, I think there's something interesting when you run your own business. Yeah. It's very difficult to, to switch off. Uh, you're thinking about what you're currently doing. You're worried about the team and the staff, make sure things okay. And also thinking about what's next. Yeah. Um, I'm also a fidgeter. I always, got, always want to do new things. I've got a new idea. Very yeah. keen to have a go at it. Um, so a pub conversation turned into now what is the British Podcast Awards yeah uh, and yeah it's nice to it's kind of nice to be busy yeah uh, and some of that stuff I mean it's almost there's things which is pure business and then sort of things actually which are hobbies so instead of playing tennis I've sort of sorted out the podcast awards and yeah. I, I see them as the same thing um, okay so let's start with you what do you like as a manager and how do you like to be managed it's uh, Good question. Uh, it's always, I think it's hard to analyse your own mm. management ability or lack of it. Uh, I think uh, Folder, Fun Kids, uh, we've got quite a young team, uh, quite a lot where we're their first kind of main job. Yeah. Uh, we try and engender a coaching culture, particularly around the presenters uh, and bringing them on and, mm. and, and reviewing their material. Uh, we're good with uh, devolving responsibility to individuals. I think that's really important. You know, I think you know, I always want to employ people who are better at things than me. Yeah. Uh, particularly in specialisms, whether that's being amazing at Photoshop or video editing or audio production or, or whatever it might be. Uh, where I also am very keen that the team know that we want them to be successful, and some of that's not. Some of that's going to be outside of our business and whatever their next stage is. And you see this definitely in the, the presenters. You know, they want to go on and be on Radio 1 or they want to go and do other stuff. And so if they're open with us about what they're doing, we're very happy to help them get on. And that isn't purely altruistic. I think uh, if, if team members feel that uh, we're invested in their future, you get more from them. Yeah. Uh, and actually, if they going to leave or something comes up and they're sharing you, sharing that with you sort of as they think about it, then actually you might come up with a, a better opportunity for them to stick around. Your business partner, it's Greg. Yes. And is there, is there a real set delineation of what he does and what you do? Are the, are the lines ever blurred? How does that relationship work? Uh, it's interesting. So we can own the businesses together, mm. but he's the boss. Right. So he's the, he's the chief executive or the managing director of it. Uh, he's in charge of the numbers and the money uh, and the business plans and, and making sure that that's working. I tend to look after the creative end. Yeah. Uh, I tend to worry about the team and the presenters and, and, and the staff. Okay. Uh, it's rare that we kind of disagree on things, like fundamentally disagree on things. Uh, we'll sort of have different views. And it's always been left that 
he probably does have the final decision, though I'm not sure there's anything I can remember that he's gone, no, we're going to go in this direction. Uh, I think we're relatively aligned on our objectives for the businesses. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think we trust each other to do the other bits. Um, he probably loves the fact he doesn't have to worry about presenters going mad, and I love that I don't have to worry about the bank. <laughs> sure. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but in terms of do you have your eye on other projects, other jobs, other opportunities? I mean, recently you seem to have developed a, a live podcast offering from nothing that's <laughs> happening in about 20 minutes. I mean, it, stuff seems to move quick. Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly, I'm very aware that I'm incredibly lucky in that we've created an environment where we've got the core things that we do, but there is time to experiment with other projects, some of which are, are folder projects uh, and some of which are, are sort of standalone and separate. Uh, and I think we both, me and Gregory, both feel that uh, actually growing those new opportunities is generally quite good for folder and for fun kids. So, you know, podcast awards, we work with Apple and uh, Spotify and Acast and everyone in the sector, yeah. which makes it much easier to obviously get a fun kids podcast promoted in Apple because yeah. we have that relationship. Uh, and actually quite a lot of the things I'm involved with a lot around audio, a lot around um, new platforms, um, podcast partners, and they all sort of touch on that. So they sort of re reinforce each other. There's no sort of job that I particularly want to go and do any, mm. anywhere else at the moment. Um, I think, you know, we're an entrepreneurial business. Some of those things we've developed may live with other people. We might sell them on, some we might develop ourselves. So I'm kind of interested in, in that journey and, and growing something. Kind of, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm able to do that in, in the job I do at the moment. Well, the final question for this bit is we're getting to know you. What what qualities do you look for in those working around you? What's an essential, if you like, DNA of the sort of people you enjoy working most with? Uh, people who are interested in stuff. Okay. Uh, people who are excited by ideas, people who are interested in, in developing something or trying out something. Uh, uh, and then on the other side, there's sort of actual skills. Uh, I think particularly in the audio and the radio space, um, probably what was 15, 20 years ago of you must know Microsoft Office. Yeah. Well, I think the equivalent of that today is uh, knowing Adobe Creative Suite. And you should be as comfortable in Photoshop and, and Premiere and Audition, mm. all of those sorts of things. Uh, or can turn your hand to it and think, well, I haven't actually done that before, but um, I understand the techniques behind that and understand creativity or output for audiences and I want to use those tools to make it so uh, and then the other bit is that you can teach quite a lot uh, I'd much rather have someone who was engaged and fascinated by the sector uh, and hungry for it and you know we can work out how to teach them how to do the other stuff on the side and what do you think you're known for in the industry? What oh, um, Rajar, I think that's <laughs> probably the, so for people who are not in the radio sector, mm. Rajar is our, our kind of currency and uh, it's it's quite geeky. Uh, and I've always been involved with analyzing audience data in all, in all my jobs. So I publish a blog every quarter mm. with the data on that everyone looks at. Okay, Matt, let's turn to your work. Let's discuss Fun Kids and Folder. We're going to come to the podcast awards yeah. too. Let's start with Folder because the, the point of this is to discuss, if you like, the relationship that 
into youth culture, mm. youth marketing. Folder have made some content for Radio One right, yes. right, over the years. How is, and for other, other yeah. youth-focused content, talk to us about that a little and, yeah. and the sort of things that Folder make. Yeah, so, so Folder, and, and we have a kind of production business that we call Folder & Co, um, makes content for, for broadcasters. And, and, and we've always sort of done it over the years and we've, got, we've had a, more of a focus over the last couple of years. And Folder & Co is a bit of a collective where we've brought together um, some excellent audio practitioners um, and we've combined that with the resources that we have in our business uh, to be able to kind of bid for bigger things. So we created um, and made the first season of the Love Island podcast for ITV uh, and sort of devised that for them. And, uh, and it's in a similar format now and they've bought, bought, taken it in-house. Um, but that was quite a, a fun thing last year. Having never watched the programme before, I was contractually obliged to, but uh, uh, amazing to work with ITV actually on that. I and mean, it's yeah. such an incredible multi-platform operation and they're such a talented team. And that last year was the number one podcast. So it was the most successful new podcast of, of last year. It did over 3 million downloads in about eight weeks. And there's just in the podcast, and I'm, mm. I'm anxious, I'm a bit of a podcast geek too, but... It was probably the first ever mainstream podcast, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's a good old-fashioned, you know, it's the equivalent of a Saturday night TV show. It's a broad, it was a broad product. And that's different to, I think, a lot of podcasts. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more of that, though it hasn't, I thought we'd see more of that a bit sooner off the back of, of what happened with Love Island. But I know talking to, to a variety of people, that there's more people thinking about that. Um, I think... I think also what was interesting in making it was they had a really strong insight into the gap they saw. And, you know, ITV and Love Island produces a huge amount of multi-platform content. But they saw this gap of between kind of waking up and midday. Kind of at midday, a lot of people catch up on Love Island at their desk, particularly women. And they needed a product which sat in, it sat in, in the morning. And so we created something actually very much based on a radio breakfast show. Right. You know, it's something, it had a lot of recurring features. It had a, a pair of talent in Kem and Ariel that, you know, echo what you see on breakfast shows. Uh, and we tried to make it part of people's lives, you know, that they listened on their way to work or walking to school or, or any of those things. And um, I think... Obviously, a big part of success is it has those words Love Island in it, but actually Kem and Ariel's relationship, that's, that's something that was, that was important. Having something that was regular, you know, the production process for that program uh, was tough because it, we made it at 10 p.m. Uh, and edited it and had it complied by 1 a.m., 2 a.m. every morning, so it's on everyone's phones for 6 a.m. Yeah. So, and that actually gave it some benefit, and obviously we had a lot of access, and, and we had a lot of celebrity in there, but it's sort of a reinterpretation of, of, of something that's very successful in the form of a radio breakfast show. Forgive me a blunt question. Yeah. When ITV take it in the house yeah. for the second year, yeah. is that a, is that a bone of contention? Does that frustrate you? Does, do you? I mean, I think, I mean, obviously it's disappointing. I mean, I think it's... Uh, it's a shame because it, it was received so well internally mm. uh, and obviously we did, we did very well for them. Uh, they, but interesting, and you see this with, with media owners, you know, they have a desire to build internal skill and resource to do podcasts. And they see it as a good opportunity to, to drive their digital output. And I'm sure we'll see podcasts for TV shows and soap operas. And I think ITV done, done right, they've got a great opportunity to, to execute it. I think what I'm sure they like anybody new taking something on, um, they'll learn the things which we've learned over the past 10 yeah. years. Uh, 
uh, with it. I think also it's the kind of the curse of an independent production company. You know, yeah. these things sort of come and go, and you've got to be, you know, you've got to be relatively sanguine about it. Yeah. Uh, I think what's interesting doing it, uh, you know, for Folder and Co, we make a show now for uh, BBC Sounds and Radio One called Worst Dates. Mm. Uh, which is exactly as you expect it would be, which is sort of celebrities and kind of youthful celebrity social media stars uh, who talk about bad dating experiences. And it's quite rude. Yeah. Uh, and I love that it's rude. And it's not often that the BBC have historically done things that are, <clears throat> that are as rude as this. And the programme gets an airing in the, uh, for BBC reasons, at about 3am as well on Radio yeah. 1. And I had to sign off as an executive producer one of the the particularly nasty things that they were that they were talking about. And I never quite expected that that would be part of my my job. Excellent. I look forward to listening to the worst <laughs> dates. Let's jump to Fun Kids. Mm. Fun Kids is how old is a brand? So Fun Kids it's kind of been around ten years in its current wow. incarnation. I mean, three it's over three years ago. Uh, it went nationwide yeah. as a radio station. That's probably a, a big turning point. Uh, so if you don't know, uh, so Fun Kids is uh, a station for predominantly children under 11, so kind of primary school age children. It's available nationally on digital radio as well as the internet, Alexa, mobile apps, all of those sorts of things. And as well as that broadcast radio station, there's a podcast network, um, a video operation, uh, and a parent newsletter as well as a website. And it's it's evolved into something that's a definitely a you know a multi-platform kids brand. Yeah. You know what we think about fun. It's about reaching families uh, through wherever, any of those platforms. And um, we know that some people are only see us on YouTube, or some only listen to the radio station in the car. But clearly, we push them around the other platforms. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's very successful. So we have over three hundred thousand kids tuning each week to the broadcast radio side. Um, we're really building out this podcast network now. And, it's um, the biggest children's podcast network in the UK? Well, from, from a number of channels in the world. Um, yeah. And so we announced a little while ago that um, the Fun Kids podcast network will now include our own podcasts, but third-party podcasts too. Oh, wow. okay. So we've just added, uh, depending on when this comes out, we just added uh, a very popular kids podcast called Story Nori has yeah. joined our network. We're making uh, the Week Juniors new podcast for them. That's part of our our network. So the Fun Kids podcast network, uh, you know, it's over a million downloads a month, uh, and we're going to add more channels that we make at Fun Kids, and we're going to add some more third party channels to that, and provide that as an opportunity for for advertisers to reach children and families. That's great, and. How do you keep the Fun Kids brand fresh? Because it's 10 years old. Yeah. Obviously, the children are getting older. Yes. There's as a constant supply of new children. Thank the Lord. Thank goodness for that. But, but what are the changes you're making with uh, the optimizations so, you're doing? So, the, the interesting about all kids' media or kids' product is the danger of becoming a fad. Uh, and you saw this something like Moshi Monsters, mm. which. You know, back in the day, everyone was saying, oh, this is going to, this is the new Disney. Um, and it, maybe it could have been, but you know what? Actually, it's just a fad. Mm -hmm. uh, and they didn't evolve that product enough. Uh, and they faced lots of challenges along the way, as all uh, us kids' brands do. Um, I think what's interesting with Fun Kids as a, as a 
you know, we're a packager of content as well as a creator of it. You know, we're a music radio station, so we're very lucky that the music changes and evolves all the time. So that's always new. You know, our presenters evolve and change, so that that's new. And we can always look at the, the branding and the audio content that's on the radio station. So we're very lucky that all of our material evolves and changes. And we can jump on fads and reflect them and then bin them off and then talk about the next thing. Yeah. Um, we know that uh, we're just kind of approaching the point probably where some people who grew up with fun kids are now having their own children. So yeah. that's exciting. <laughs> um, and then our other bit is making sure we're on the platforms as they appear for, okay. for audiences. So obviously smart speakers are very important at the moment and we're on Alexa and Google Home and all those places and Sonos, uh, obviously our own apps. Um, but as new things have appeared, we've been on it. So uh, you see something like Super Awesome and Pop Jam. Yeah. We're one of the biggest channels on Pop Jam. Um, they're launching their own video product. Obviously, we're one of the only providers of, of kids' video content. So it's very easy for us to um, evolve and, and do more stuff. And do you think you're more defined by what you do do or what you don't do? So I've seen a, you toy with a print product yep. recently. I've seen... But then that said, I've never seen you go into the teen space with the core Fun Kids product. Yeah, so so so, so Fun Kids. So the, the core radio station is um, uh, for kids under eleven, but our, our real core is probably six to eleven. So it's that, it's that junior school age thing. We've always had preschool programming, and we just launched a a spin-off Fun Kids radio station called Fun Kids Junior. Oh wow! Okay. So Fun Kids Junior um, is uh, yeah, just for sort of kids under under three and four really uh we have some fun kids junior programming on the main station mm. um but uh when the older kids are at school uh but fun kids junior is is 24 7 it's got a bit of dab coverage but it's on it's going to be on the, the all the other platforms too and that's kind of about having a more of a parent product really uh, and we think that sits very nicely alongside that six to eleven uh, product. I think teen something different, and I think it was very difficult um, to probably drag teens across from fun kids into another thing. Um, and you've got to be very careful with audiences and that teen audience about whether they want to be seen as children. Clearly, they don't. You know, we know from responses we get from audiences, we have actually quite a lot of 12 and 13-year-olds listening. Right. But I wouldn't expect them in the playground to tell their sure. mates to listen to phone kids. I'm sure they pretend they listen to Capital Extra yeah. or whatever. Um, so I think if we were going into teen, we'd do something very different. I think applying the skills of what we learned doing kids uh, and things like Love Island and obviously Radio 1 shows as well, we could easily, you know, if we, if we chose to, we could easily execute on a team product. But I think it's a very complex market. And I think it's, uh, an, you know, would it be centered around audio? I don't know. I think that it's difficult for that audience. Um, but what we haven't really seen a huge amount of is, you know, team podcast product. Yeah. Uh, and we know particularly you know, BBC Sounds is very much teaching lots of audiences about podcasts and, and audio on demand and you know radio one are pushing quite heavily into the on-demand audio space so 
I think if it was to create product, it'd be differently branded material that exists in that space. Just jumping back to fun kids, have you, I know you're involved in events, experiential yeah. activity. Are there things that you've experimented with and retreated from? Have you pivoted? But uh, that, what's gone wrong? Yeah, so <laughs> so back to the, we really think about in reaching families. Mm. Uh, so you mentioned a, a, a print product. So we, we have a kind of magazine that we do at events mm. and we do a sampling and we use that as a as a way to teach people about the, about the brand. Um, I think video's hard. We've had some we had some good successes around some video channels, but actually some that turned into a bit of fads. Mm. Um, and it's very hard to just put all that effort into a, into a video channel that's done very well and then suddenly actually you should probably cut your losses. Uh, and so uh, the video that we do is probably not as aggressive as I'd like, um, but I think where our sweet spot is clearly is in audio, and so the broadcast radio station and, and now what the podcast network, yeah. um, I think uh, probably a better use of, of our time. Okay. I think you can't, I mean, obviously you always hope that you can turn your hand to anything and, and just make <laughs> it work, um, but I think you've got to you know, really look at uh, what's working, how's the market changing, um, and you saw it with like, kids gaming, and even that transition from Flash to HTML5, you know, it left huge amounts of people behind who just weren't geared up to cope with, cope with the shift. Um, and so I think you know, we're getting into a, another shift around audio, so we're definitely gonna be at the center of that. I'm really keen to focus on just a, what might seem a point of minutia for a second, and it's around the age of your presenters. Yes. So, Radio One has, whether they've done this deliberately or not, they were really, really focused on lowering the age. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they felt that they had to have a younger presenter. Yes. Seems like there's been a slight change. Yeah. At least I think the Radio One Breakfast Show presenter is 40 or 41. Yes. So when do your presenters get too old? Uh, what do they do once you turf them out? Or don't they get too well, old? Is it, is uh, it a stage, not an age? Uh, yes, I talked to them all about... Fun Kids is a conveyor belt okay. that constantly moves. Okay. And if you don't move, you fall off the end. Okay. So um, I think I've probably stolen that from Andy Parfit, who used to run Radio 1. Now, yeah. as a presenter, you can quite happily jump up the conveyor belt by reimagining what you do or being connected to audiences. Uh, and so I don't think it is about, about age. And so if you look at Radio 1, you know, someone some like Chris Moyles, who delivered an excellent program, but all of the things he started talking about were sort of drifting away. Mm. And that's not, it doesn't mean that teenagers don't like it, but it, it becomes less focused. But then you see someone like Scott Mills, who is probably similar age to Chris Moyles, who has constantly changed his act. He's always brought on kind of co-hosts and you know, Chris at the moment, who's his co-host, kind of keeps him young and kind of keeps it more focused. I think also, there was a slight naivety um, in if you make a breakfast show, particularly for Radio 1 and what they with Nick Grimshaw, if you make a breakfast show really young sounding, you've got to remember that for a 15 year old to listen in the mornings, actually you need mum and dad to still like it. Yeah. And so if you're too young, mum and dad will switch the radio off uh, and then you lose everyone. Uh, and so when you look at what Nick's figures, his percentage of, of 15 to 24s went up, but actually he had, he delivered less 15 to 24s than Moyles yeah. because Moyles appealed to more people. Uh, and I think what they're doing with Greg uh, is, a, you know, Greg is not a sort of super cool, trendy presenter, yeah. uh, but he's very youthful 
um, talks about a lot of useful things, but he's very acceptable to mum and dad as well. And I think as a, for a family listen, that shows very strong. Now, for fun kids, uh, our presenters are generally in their 20s. Uh, but it's a real kind of mixed bag. Some have been with us quite a few years uh, and their act has got much better and, and what they've delivered for us. You know, particularly for a kid's radio station, it, you know, if you're on Radio 1, it's sort of 90% of your personality is clearly what you put on air. Mm. And probably with fun, it's more sort of 60, 70% because okay. you know, it's, it's a, a tuned version for you know, six to 11 year olds. Um, so they can probably cope a bit better. But one of our challenges is, is always bring on young presenters. So we've got new guy who's 21, 22. Um, this is first main radio job, like Connor. Uh, and he's kind of doing the more youthful pop music slot at 7 p.m. for us. Uh, and us finding those new people are important to keep the radio station fresh, but also they're closer to the target audience. You know, I'm very aware that I'm not as young as when I started doing mm. these products and projects, uh, whereas they're more in tune with, with the audience and, and know what's interesting and, and cool for a, a 10 year old. Are you constantly looking at what the competition are doing or are and what do you count as competition? I mean, do you sure. look at Spotify? Do you look at do you look at other trends in the space? So, uh, we do look at competition. We are very we are very aware. We are incredibly lucky that we're the only real kids radio station in the UK. Um, now that now we have two channels, that's good as well. A younger one and a, a broader family mm-hmm. one. Um, we're good. We're lucky that we're nationwide on digital radio, free to air digital radio. And there isn't a lot of space on that. So, you know, I always worry that Disney are going to come along and run a radio station, which they run in other markets. It would be difficult for them to get capacity um, and launch something nationwide. So I like that. Uh, But our competition is for kids and families time. Uh, And that's television and the internet and YouTube uh, and podcasts and Spotify and Heart and Radio 1 and it's everything. So part of the reason we have a multi-platform focus is we want to be in places that uh, kids and families find it very easy to to consume us because we're competing against great brands that, that, that deliver great content. In the advertising space, uh, you know, Fun Kids, the brand is, is pretty much entirely advertising funded. Um, we don't have that much of a crossover with the radio competitors. Uh, radio at a national level is bought differently uh, for Global and Bauer and, and News UK than it, than it is for us. Um, we're mainly competing in sponsorship promotions, interactive, um, and that's the kids' TV channels, that's uh, kids' magazines, media and Egmont, um, that's a super awesome. Uh, so so that, that's our kind of uh, commercial uh, competitive space. But yeah, from an audience perspective, you know, it's the battle, it's the hearts and minds battle for time and for, for families to, to consume whatever we make, wherever that is. Okay. What mistakes, if any, have fun kids made? There's, lo- I mean, yeah, there's lo- loads along the way. I think most mistakes are small ones uh, rather, rather than big ones. I think, uh, uh, I think we do the best when we're aggressive and adventurous. Okay. Uh, I think the things actually go wrong when you don't make decisions uh, and you carry on doing something that you actually you know doesn't work, but it would require some effort to, to change your mind. Um, and I mentioned a little bit about, about, about video, you know, I think we were probably naive thinking that we could be more successful. We could apply our same audio model to video. Yeah. Um, 
And if we were really aggressively going for that, we probably would have scaled that much faster. Uh, what else? Um, I think the ensuring that you keep staff. Okay. Um, you know, we're a small business uh, with people on 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 the on their road to a variety of jobs, and if we don't have the scale, actually, we can't keep things interesting for for, for team members too. So I think that that's the challenge. I think from a business perspective, uh, and in projects that I've been involved with. Uh, undercapitalizing things that's probably the biggest mistake I think a lot of businesses make you know you hope you can uh, do something on fumes and that is uh, definitely something I can relate to yeah absolutely and I, and I think if, if these ideas are big and you want to do good things you've got to you know, raise that money and, and put it into it okay I'm going to ask one more question in this section about your work yeah and I think we've kind of touched upon it but I just want to talk about I know that the British Podcast Awards is a relative three years old, yes. something like that. And I want a, a podcast getting younger. We've discussed Radio One mm. getting into the the audio space for a younger audience. What what's going to happen next in podcasts, Matt? While we've got you here, a podcast is a fascinating sector. Um, it's still really young, uh, and even though it's been around for nearly fifteen years now, um, there is no answer. There is no magic uh to it uh, its audience is its audience is broadening but it is still a bit 25 44 male skew mm. uh, that's starting to shift and change um uh, it's quite a market podcasting is still quite an upmarket thing uh and to the you know, people who like speech content um again tends to be more a b so i don't think we've seen it broaden enough to to C2D demographics and, 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 and youth as well. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the issues for all youth content, uh, particularly sort of broadcast content, so audio and video from traditional providers, is that they've abandoned young people. Mm. You know, you, when I grew up, T4 was a, a big part of the world. It doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. It's a li- little bit here, here and there. I mean, CBBC has gone young, has kind of pulled younger a bit. They're making some efforts now to, to kind of create some iPlayer content for 13 and 14 year olds. But I think a, an, a lot of youth brands or youth media brands have sort of abandoned it to, to YouTube. Obviously, I think a lot of the success of YouTube is it's better focused audiences, but also it's because mainstream media abandoned it. And I think it has been uh, definitely slow to make children's content in podcasts. You know, there's outside of us and people on our podcast network, there are very few kids uh, podcasters because it's hard. Yeah. Um, and then on the teen side, I think the, the teen side has not been particularly well exploited. Uh, and I think there's good opportunities to do it. I think Spotify's entry into the podcast space aggressively. A lot of teens clearly are on Spotify, whether it's family uh, subscriptions or, or their own, and having podcasts to be very visible in Spotify, I think, is a big opportunity for for youth brands and um, uh, youth content creators to create more material. But it's not it, it is something that has not been well exploited. Did you ever believe that for a second in the podcast space or the wider digital audio space, did you think it had peaked? Did you think it would almost get this renaissance? Ne- and, and also, yeah. I suppose, now, what caused this new, this time's renaissance? Yeah, so I, I think, I think that a lot of the marketing tells the, an incorrect story with podcasts. So I think there's been steady growth pretty much since it's begun. Um, there's been some content that has made people really engage. And so, you know, Serial 
was the first sort of crossover podcast success. But what people forget about Serial, so Serial came from a, a radio show called This American Life. Yeah. It's a very, so it's like a network radio show in America and a, a popular podcast channel. They put the first episode of Serial on the radio, on all their radio stations, and and on This American Life's channel. So they use good old-fashioned broadcast marketing to establish that, that, that product. But also it coincided with you know, Apple Podcasts and iTunes being a button on phones, you know, mm-hmm. shipping on phones. So when people kind of for the first time pressed that button, there was some content they'd heard of. So I think that sort of serial and that, that, that app appearing pre-installed on iPhones made a huge difference to, to podcast awareness. Uh, and made it much easier for people to, to kind of consume to consume that media. I've never thought it's peaked. I think you know we are still uh, way you know it's small. You know we've uh, looking at the last figures, thing like seven million weekly reach for podcasts. Yeah, I mean it's, t- it's smaller than Heart. You know, mm-hmm. less people listen to podcasts and listen to the Heart Network. Um, so I think it's a huge amount to go, and it will and it will grow. I think it's going to grow faster. The other thing that's interesting, the sort of secret stat, is if you look at share of ear. So all audio consumption in the UK, podcasting is about 1%. That's it. However, if you do a a break and you just look at podcast listeners, uh, they give about a quarter of their time to podcasts. So as you add more reach to podcasts, the time spent listening is going to aggressively increase. Uh, Yeah, and that's going to have um, a big impact on owned music and so and the same as, as listening on streaming services and it's going to cut into that i think it, it will cut in into radio too but uh, to radio as well not just radio too but mm. them, them too uh, but also i think the the difference is listening in headphones versus listening on speakers and you know the speaker is a sh- is often a shared environment even if it's just you on your own in the kitchen well how you use that that radio or that smart speaker um, and the job it does is different to the job about listening when you've got your headphones in and listening to music that's specific to your podcast that's specific to you. So I think it's an environment thing that, that that's different with, with podcasts. Um, but we're definitely seeing more people come into the sector. We're seeing uh, the big boys do it as well as, as, as independents. I think the ability for kind of kitchen podcasters to be successful is starting to drift to zero. Uh, it's very hard to establish something in, in this space because it's very competitive. Um, uh, but we're going to see a lot of talent come into the market and they bring audience and they can establish things more easily. We're going to see American podcasters starting to open UK offices, particularly yeah. for sales. Uh, and you know the UK is often the second or third biggest market for big American podcast networks. So we're going to see a lot of people in, in this area. You've already seen BBC Sounds make a good start when they've put a lot of effort in, but it hasn't been instant. And, you know, it's because they face a lot of competition um, and they're, they're spending a lot of money on, on content. But you know, there is a lot of other things out there um, vying for people's time. The last part of this podcast is finding the rocket fuel, the stuff, mm. the insights from your experience, from your knowledge and your know-how that can, if you like, power people's campaigns, power people's thinking in their everyday jobs when they're reaching youth and children's mm. audiences. So some questions, Matt. What do you know about young audiences and how they behave? Uh, what do we know? We know... Uh, they've never been. They've never had as much media as they do at the moment. Uh, we know from th- two and three years old, they can navigate 
uh, content. Uh, you know, we know that trying to explain a linear television channel to a four-year-old, uh, as, you, as you explain it, you sound mental. What? Some other people have chosen some programs to be on at a time. What do you mean there's no new Peppa Pig? You know, uh, this sort of on-demand world and, and kind of content at, at your fingertips. Um, you know, we also know that they do clone uh, parenting, uh, parents' attitudes and parents' way of consuming content. So uh, we've gone into very, we've gone from schools with very small children, talked about radio, and they all know what radio is, and they almost become a smashy and nicey DJ overnight, and they put pretend headphones on and talk into microphones. You know, it is a hist you know, historical medium that's been around 100 years. They very much understand it, because they've listened to it, because mum and dad have it on all the time. Um, and we also see that with podcasts. So we see kids now saying, yeah, they want to clone their pet, this thing their dad does when he listens to the football ramble or, or something like that. You know, they ask where their podcast is, where is for them. You know, children always want to uh, occupy what older children or, old, or, or adults do. Uh, and, and, and a lot of it's the same. You know, they want to be entertained. Uh, they want things that are relevant to their lives. Uh, and uh, they want things that are high quality. Um, but also they want a lot of it. So, you know, a six-part run is, is not acceptable anymore. Um, in a world where brand purpose seems to be being becoming increasingly important mm. and, and certainly a lot more spoken about and talked about, mm. what's important to young audiences, do you think? Uh, I think for young, for young audiences, and this is as you get sort of seven plus, eight plus, you know, they're interested in uh, being a part of the world. You know, local is, is the kind of the park bench, uh, not their town. You know, local is about their school, their classroom. Um, and everything else is kind of, sort of, and outside of that is everything else. And that can be what's happening in the rainforests. That can be what's happening with Brexit, what's happening in London, what can be happening in, in, in their town. Um, and they want to be connected with it. Uh, they want, uh, I think young people particularly are quite righteous and part of their desire around inequality or green issues um, is about kind of doing the right thing and, and, and a brand's aligned with that, I think is important. Um, being fair, and you, you see you know, out of Me Too, uh, you know, that's, that's partly, I think, about fairness and, and everyone being treated the same. And I think kids coming out of classrooms or being with 30 other children, you know, fairness is hugely important. I think from sort of slightly older audiences who you have know, parents who are concerned about the, the content that their kids use, you know, there's huge worry about, you know, particularly YouTube and algorithms and, and what it's showing up. Uh, even you know podcast charts and categories. You know we know that parents are concerned about kids' content being the parent content, mm. and so the new categories Apple have launched and everyone else has adopted is great because you can have you know, kids' stories or kids' education categories, and that's you know that's important. And for us, but fun kids, you know we're a broadcast brand and we follow the Ofcom guidelines because we're a broadcast brand, but that's basically across all of the things we do, regulated or unregulated, and we see that as. Uh, a very important thing, particularly for advertisers, in that you know all our content is safe and we put it in safe places and how we describe that uh, and what we make, you know, is always going to be brand safe and you can't always do that with you know programmatic buys or um, 
or you know self-service stuff that you're getting on you know YouTube ads and all those sorts of things. Um, social media has complications uh, around it that is more than just are you on it are you not on it. Uh, and I think if you're working with kids media brands, us other people, you know, it's our day job. You know, we're experts. And if you want to create content for young audiences talk to people who do it professionally and, and they'll give you their advice and help you make it, help you market it. Um, but it is tougher and it's a tougher age group. But, you know, of course, these are the consumers of tomorrow. Uh, and, and actually, they influence a huge amount of spending in, in families today. And so kids and youth media is an important medium to, to use to reach them. What do you think will change about how youth audiences behave? Uh, so, uh, like all audiences, content is is across a load more different platforms, uh, and we're going to see in Netflix, in in in, in, in SVOD and TV on demand. Uh, there's going to be more exclusives on more platforms, and so the idea that you can just have Netflix and you'll get everything will be gone. You know, Disney Plus is going to be a kind of must-have for, mm. for families. Um, uh, the broadcasters are all going to launch their own separate uh, uh, platforms. You know, Friends is pulled off Netflix yeah. because it's going to sit on NBC's own platform mm. in the states, and that will roll out here in the UK too. We're going to see it in audio. Uh, so, so you know, Spotify have got exclusives, um, Apple Podcasts are getting into exclusives. Mm. It's going to be harder uh, to navigate. You know, the platforms become important. Uh, that's part of the reason you know, we've launched our, our, our podcast network because as well as being an advertising point, these are also going to promote each other's podcasts uh, and to teach people where these things are. And uh, having, you know, again, we're lucky to have a free-to-air platform because I think a lot of content is going to be locked away in different so places. So discoverability is going to be key. Yeah, but also if, if you're an advertising business, you know, finding places that are ad-funded is going to become more and more difficult. Mm. You know, we know kids still watch a lot of broadcast television from Nick and CBBC and those sorts of things. But yes, they do consume a lot of Netflix. And the, but the worry is more about hours. You know, they, they're moving hours away from, from broadcast, free-to-air telly, and they're putting it on on-demand platforms. have no advertising in them because they're subscript they're SVOD. And the same with the Disney Plus service. Uh, and I think if you advertise on television to reach young audiences, and we know this because we talk to those people all the time, it was the best medium to reach young people, and it always has been. Not anymore. Uh, and they're having to move budget away. If you move budget away to digital, to radio, to mm. podcasts, um, you've got a, it's essential if you want to have your high reach because telly, which always did a great job of high reach, isn't just, just it's not going to be able to deliver that anymore. Okay, Matt, which brands are getting it right and which brands are getting it wrong? Oh, that's difficult. Um, I think I mean it's I think it's very interesting seeing what Super Awesome have been doing um, around you know, kids safe advertising. Um, I've got a lot of time for that. Uh, I do worry sometimes that it's still something that is quite replicatable. So yeah. you know you can be really great at doing it, but then if some other networks you know uh, deploy that technology, you know what are you there to do anymore? Um, but particularly, I think, for G you know, GDPR and those changes have meant that people have to think differently. And certain brands, including America, have been fined around that because they haven't um, kept up. Uh, I think, I don't know about people doing it wrong, but uh, people who are trying to launch podcasts that are like six episode runs, 
very difficult to establish audiences uh, and assume that how they're going to find you and then when they do find you just you disappear as soon as you start uh, and in the old days you know media buying you'd buy some specials somewhere or a bit of radio here or there you know you've got to create long-term relationships with audiences and if you're uh, I've, work, I've been working with a big multinational brand around podcasting and they have a lot of difficulties understanding return on investment for yeah. that uh, because it's hard to predict audiences and it's difficult to commit to it. Uh, but if they're not willing to make that investment, they're, they're going to be really far behind. And uh, I think we're, we're starting to come through the point where brands have tried to create their own content and that, you know, be its own thing. It's very, very difficult to have the content that resonates with young audiences. Um, and the brand can often be an anchor that, that weighs it down. It's very few exceptions where something like Red Bull, where they've really built a content offer um, that's aligned with what they do. Uh, and I think it's essential that, that brands have to you know, work with content creators and to think a little more cleverly about it. And also brands have to be, um, content brands have to be a bit more honest about the delivery of some of this branded content. Final question. If you could give one takeaway for everybody listening, what would it be? Uh, I think spend some time with your spend some time with children and not just your own children, because your own children are a very specific uh, group. Um, you know, go to uh, a school in central London uh, and you, depending on your background, you may be quite surprised how broad that group of, of kids are uh, and what they're interested in and how they live their lives and, and what's important to them. Uh, but experience it firsthand, don't just buy reports. Um, find out ways to sit in, sit in classrooms and, uh, and really understand how you know, Britain's young people uh, are changing and not just the ones that uh, are in the bedrooms upstairs. And thus concludes another Rocket Fuel interview podcast. Thanks so much for listening, particularly all the way to the end. It shows you've got stamina. I really enjoyed that chat. Um, there are many more that we've had, many more still to come. If you've got great ideas for guests or you just wish we'd ask different questions, then get in touch. We're really keen to take on board your feedback. In the meantime, give us a five-star review. Do share this podcast with someone who you think would really like it. And tune in next week. Thank you for listening. This is a Rocket Audio production.